Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 40. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your co-host, Mike McKenna. And uh, we're here to give you the weekly update or the only place to go to get what needs to what need what you need to know about what's going on in this in the, wild and wacky in, town of Washington. In the famous words of Tom Pyle earlier this week, we're the only ones who tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a lot to cover this week. I don't even know where to start. So, I'm actually going to let you start and then we'll get on we'll, we'll get into it from there. Oh, okay. That's good. Um I'm going to start where I always start um in, with election results. Um, we've had a bunch of elections in the last week, um, and they have all been, as elections always are, informative. In Virginia, um, the Democrats um, are going to wind up nominating Terry McAuliffe, who is a repeater from uh, from four years back, um, to be their governor nominee. So and, can I interrupt for one second? Sure. So uh, the Democrats nominated uh, the Obama administration. Well, in, Ter- in Washington, Terry's more. Oh, and yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, Democrats in uh, in Virginia in, in Virginia have brought the Clinton administration back. Yeah, nothing says. And, and the funny thing is, is that the um, is that his acceptance speech and the acceptance announcement speech by uh, Ralph Northam were all about how we need to look forward. <laughs> I'm like, sure, nothing says and, nothing says looking forward like picking a 60 year old Clinton retread. And the Biden uh, campaign acted as if Joe Biden hasn't been in Washington for 50 it's years. It's kind of funny, right? So um, the the lieutenant governor is Hala Ayala, um, who's a delegate, right? Um, and then, um, oh boy, the attorney general uh, name completely escapes me. Um, oh, it's Mark Herring, right? He, he, ran, he ran for attorney general. I'm sorry. I knew that. Um, compare that. It, it, it's relevant for two for two things, right? Um, the Republican ticket is, of course, Glenn Youngkin, who's a chieftain at the Carlisle Group. Not my first pick, but um, at least he's new to politics, right? He doesn't have a long history of being a Clinton weenie. Um, Winsome Sears, who is uh, new to politics, lieutenant governor, a, an African-American woman, former Marine. Um, she's going to be sorely disappointed if she wins that lieutenant governor's seat because all the lieutenant governor does is babysit over the Virginia State Senate. Um and then uh, Jason Miari's right, who is a Cuban uh, American for Attorney General. It's going to be a very interesting race. The other thing that happened that was interesting about this race is um, there were only about four hundred thousand Democrats who turned out to vote. And that compares with about five hundred fifty thousand in twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a ticket that excites approximately nobody. Um, so there's that. And the other thing that happened that was interesting is, and I'm not sure I like it or don't like it. It just is. There were um, four Democratic uh, delegates who were knocked off in primaries. Three of them were knocked off by folks to their to their right. You know, the, 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 there were three Democratic delegates who were too crazy even for the Democrats to tolerate. One was the Lee Carter from Prince William, the only avowed socialist in the Virginia House of Delegates. Um, and then one was a, um, a centrist Democrat who got knocked off because he voted um, to retain qualified immunity for the police. So I can't tell if the Democrats are sort of cleaning house or if it was just one of those accidental things or what. It makes it a little hard to take the House of Delegates back. Right now that splits 55-45. Republicans need to win six seats, about 12 that are in, that are competitive. Um, I give the Republicans no worse than a jump ball at the top three and a little bit better than a jump ball and taking back the House of Delegates. So I'm optimistic. Terry McAuliffe's a great candidate. 
but he has the feeling of a guy whose time has come and gone, right? Then um, the other um, results that everybody wants to talk about are in Texas, the the, the, the mayor's race, race. Yeah, in Fort yeah, on the border. Well, everyone wants to talk about McAllen, and I'm always happy to do that, right? But the interesting one was Fort Worth, right? The Democrats thought they had a legitimate shot at winning Fort Worth, and they got um, beat by a slightly larger margin than they got beat by last time. Um, that's um, that's probably not good, right? You know, you, you take all this stuff together, Texas six. McAllen, um, Fort Worth, Virginia, what you're seeing is is what you usually see when, when you have the incumbency, right? You're, yeah. You're a, a deterioration in the numbers all the way around, right? Yeah. It bodes well for the midterms um, for the Republicans. It does. The, the question I have in Texas is, you know, every year we hear all this ang- angst or, or, or angst on one side and, and hopeless optimism on the other boosterism. about turning Texas blue. He, we're going to call that boosterism yeah. since, you know, it never seems to happen. Yeah. So the fact that Hispanics are trending Republican, both in the Trump campaign against Biden sure. and, and some of these races. Interesting. You talk about redistricting. I think there are a couple of ways to go on redistricting. You know, Texas is picking up one or one seat or two. Two. One. So. Two, I think. Regardless, yeah. uh, there are ways to, to carve up these districts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if yeah. the d- Republicans were smart, they'd give that to the Democrats. And hear me out. If, yeah. if they shore up the other seats for the Republicans, they're guaranteed four seats, likely guaranteed four seats for the better part of the decade, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that to me is how I would play that. Because yeah. then they can't complain. I think there's, you know. The de- Democrats can't complain openly that they're, they're – literally creating a district for the democrats yeah so. it, it, it's the same thing going on in in it's the same thing going on in florida right florida's plus two um all kinds of different ways to write draw those maps yeah you um, shore up those southern calif those southern the, california the, southern um, florida seats for the republicans yeah, I, they just picked up i mean so. the 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 problem for the democrats remains the same right that um that folks are starting to vote and, and healthy for the democracy right um, folks are starting to vote for reasons other than racial or ethnic identity, right? And that's, like I said, healthy for the democracy. It's not good that, it's not good that you know everybody in one ethnic group votes one way and you know another ethnic group votes another way. So, well, I'm I'm, I'm pleased to see this. I'm not surprised. You know, I've said this before, right? You know, the survey data says that once Hispanics start speaking English in the household. Their voting patterns look like everybody else's, dependent on religious attendance, um, education, gun ownership, employment, and all that stuff that you can actually predict, right? It, 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 it almost doesn't matter whether they're Hispanics or whatever. It's just you look at the other stuff. If I were a Democrat, it would cause me some concern. Yeah, the Democrats are working really hard to foment, uh, you know, racial, you know, racial sort of disharmony and and trying to sort of shore up these this groupthink uh, and the the trend is clearly not that and it's hard for someone like me to sort of see the world in that lens right like that's i always have a struggle with how you can build your sort of base or build your entire in this case party around segmenting your constituencies yeah. into like l- lumped in groups yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's part of the problem is is that you and I are both um, children of the diaspora that already happened, right? Um, 
my father was the first person in his family to vote for a Republican, right? Irish Catholic, New York, right? I'm willing to bet. I was probably the first right? person you in my your, family to vote right? Republican. Exactly. Right. You know, and, and, and my mother converted recently, and she's you know hard hardcore now. Like yeah, she's more conservative. She's more than Catholic me. than the Pope. Yeah, yeah. You know. The, well, that's not hard these days. It. But. it right. It. It. Um, you know, I've I've said this. I've I've told this story a couple of different times. Right. I remember very clearly about uh, a dozen dozen and a half years ago, um, Jim Inhofe was the Senator Inhofe was the chairman of the. Um, EPW committee, subcommittee on clean air and nuclear, right? And we were having a meeting. I was looking around the room. It was me and you know, Mike McKenna and John Shanahan and Joe Stanko and Brian Mormino oh. and Mike Cadenzaro. And it was all these guys who were all Catholics and, you know, Irishmen and Italians and guys who should have been Democrats. Yeah. And Andy Wheeler. Who's the only guy in the room who should have been a Republican, right? Yeah. Nice Presbyterian, yeah. um, you know, yeah. Midwesterner. Um, and I thought to myself, sitting here, this is this is the turn. Yeah, yeah, this is this is what the party's become, right? It is what it is. Yeah. Well, um, that's good news overall. I think it trends well. I do. I do express my continued concern that uh, it's always this this sort of bittersweet moment when the Republicans, you know, do well because. Yeah. Generally speaking, for, uh, they don't for, really you, we don't really get much for it. You wait for days. the failure. So. Correct. Um let me let me can I can I one more race that was interesting? Yeah. Um in New Jersey, the Republicans nominated um Citarelli, John Citarelli, um, to be their gubernatorial candidate. They um it was essentially a split vote, right? He won it with forty nine percent of the vote. The other three candidates all were, were rivals for the Trump endorsement in the primary. They got about forty nine percent of the vote. Um, Phil Rez- Phil Rizzo, not not Frank Rizzo, Phil Rizzo, in a game Hirsch Singh and I forget who the third guy is. Got like three percent of the vote. It's interesting because Citarelli was characterized as a never Trumper. I'm not even sure that's true, but he was the least Trumpy guy in the race. This is what's going to happen to the boss and his movement. Right, there are going to be more and more people who are going to. Um, splinter the movement and it's going to mean that um, it's a sign of health, right? That everybody wants to run, but it's also going to mean that um, fewer pure Trump people are going to wind up winning. And it also means that the boss himself is going to get stuck um, endorsing more losers. And that's just the way the world is, right? And you're about to see it in North Carolina, right? He endorsed Ted Budd. Ted Budd's no better than 50-50 to win that Republican primary. So, isn't that the um, isn't that where Laura Trump was being floated around? Yeah, she took a pass. Yeah, I'm not I surprised what the, about seeing the behind the scenes uh, of that was. You know, I don't know. Maybe she decided just having a last name was insufficient to be sitting in the United <laughs> States Senate. <laughs> Call me crazy. Well, speaking of Trump, if we if we want to move on, I do have a couple of Trump clips. We of haven't course, had, heard, yeah. heard Mr. Trump in a while. Hell yeah! President Trump's back on the stump. Uh, as we said last week, he was going to start his barnstorm tour of uh, Kansas City, red states, and um, he he opened up uh, in North. Is it was it North Carolina? Yeah, North yeah. Carolina and then Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, I think so. So, um, I, I he did a lot of this sort of rehashing uh, of of the election and everything what, what, else. What? What? Are you okay? Sure? Now, Are you sure? Yes, but he also did something uh, that should have been covered. And wasn't by the media. 
He, he's the leader of the Republican Party, whether the media likes it or not. And he True. he basically spelled out some policy. Now, I don't, wouldn't call it the contract with America, but there are some things that he said that, you know, basically amount to, you know, some policy proposals that he that were not covered because everyone just covered uh, in this insanely sort of joking way that you know uh, they there's they're completely dismissive of him so i will start with i will start with uh vouchers and critical race theory let me pull these let me pull this clip house of representatives has done right here in north carolina republicans at every level should move immediately to ban critical race theory in our schools and we should ban it in workplaces, we should ban it in our states, and we should ban it in the federal government, and it should be done immediately. Okay, so that was one, and then here's a tie-on to that with respect to the schools. Angry about it. If government-run schools are going to indoctrinate children with radical ideas republicans must immediately pass legislation to empower every parent in america to opt out of the insanity and send their child to the public private charter or religious school of their choice okay so i'll take those two we can dissect it a little if you want uh are there more to come there's just a one more on china oh of course i want to hear the one on china okay uh, I'll throw that out here too. Ready? The time has come for America and the world to demand reparations and accountability from the Communist Party of China. We should all declare within one unified voice that China must pay. They must pay. Okay, and then one final one, uh -huh. sticking with China for it, a sec. It's a bonus China. In addition, all nations should work together to present China a bill for a minimum of $10 trillion to compensate for the damage they've caused. And that's a very low number. The damage is far, far greater than that. As a first step, all countries should collectively cancel any debt they owe to China as a down payment on reparations. The nations of the world should no longer owe money to China. China's destroyed so many nations. I mean, we came out better than anybody. Our economy is stronger now than any other nation. Nobody's recovered like us because of what we've done, because we laid a great economic foundation and because of what we've done with the vaccine and the also what we've done with the distribution, the distribution of the vaccine. But China should owe money to the nations of the world. They've been destroyed. These nations have been destroyed. Sadly, the current administration is very timid and frankly corrupt when you look at all of the money that they've been given as a family by China, that instead of holding China accountable, the Biden administration shut down the U.S. government's investigation into the origins of the virus shortly after taking office. What's going on? Now, Hunter, who had no experience, walked out with one and a half billion dollars to manage. You know how much money you make on one and a half billion dollars to manage? They needed Hunter's advice. They don't use the smartest people on Wall Street. They don't want their advice. I spoke to somebody on Wall Street. I won't mention his name. We'll get him in trouble. But I spoke to somebody. I said, who's one of the biggest? I said, do they do this? He said, I can't get money. And this guy's record is better than anybody. 
Now that's a disgrace. We must never forget that Joe Biden and his family took millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party. They bought them off. They flagrantly lied about it to the American voters. Uh, if you remember, it was a big deal at the time, and then all of a sudden it was canceled. They didn't want to talk about it. The big tech and the fake news media didn't want to talk about it. You could talk up a storm. In fact, I'll guarantee you those cameras are starting to go off right now. It's true. All right. I needed to leave that ramble on there just to remind people that, you know, he doesn't always stay quite on script. He's so much better when he has something to say. But you did warn folks that his voice would be a little thin. A little thin. A little and, thin at the top register. Was. And when yeah. I first started hearing the clips, I heard it immediately, recognized yeah. it immediately. Yeah. But it didn't take me long to adjust. So I'm not sure it'll impact him uh, significantly if he, if he continues to. But... The real challenge here is, is nobody's covering them. Nobody wants to cover any of this stuff. I, I, we brought these clips to you so you so you know what he's trying to push the party to do or to sort of be well, for I mean, the, uh, during the cycle. Yeah, the problem here's here's the problem, and and I know I'm going to shock you when I say this. I, I I mentioned I'm getting to this in my column on Monday. The the problem is is that you can't have it both ways you can't keep barking about this 2020 election stuff and then expect people to listen to you on policy and and again i've said this too the president does better when he's talking about something mm -hmm. when he is grinding personal axes he sounds like everybody else who grinds personal axes those who are listening generally speaking want to shoot themselves to get out of the conversation when he's talking about stuff, he's actually pretty good. Yeah. And, and I'm 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 encouraged, right? Now if we could just shear away the the top twenty five minutes of complaints and get to the stuff, um, you know, I, I think he'll have a winning formula. Um, but this you know, this this you know, this 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 obsession with this obsession with what happened six months ago, seven months ago. Do something or move on. Yeah. But stop talking about it. So I think that the um, the way I describe the Republican Party right now, <laughs> the, you ready for this? Should be good. You have we have basically one of two 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 avenues to choose. We have an avenue which is co constant chaos and uncertainty, mm -hmm. which is led by the Trump uh, you know wing of the party, led by Trump himself, and that constant chaos is designed to just basically keep you on your edge. Right. Yeah. All the time. Like you never know when you're going to get fired. You never know when he's going to you know, do this or do that. Or you never know who he's going to endorse or not endorse. Constant chaos. Now, the other wing of the party is very disciplined, very structured failure. OK. And hear me out on this. No, no. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm jump tracking. It. How many Senate races have the establishment basically completely butchered in the last several cycles by – picking and rigging the primary for the candidate who they think on paper was like the right the right answer yeah, so pretty much a lot i mean so. if you look at george uh alabama that whole thing got got messed up right well you I, look at mississippi you look at arizona can i put you this? look at i mean a lot like yeah the, I, my point is this when you when you on one hand, it's it's completely chaotic and it drives everybody crazy. But at least some of the outcomes are are right in terms of those of us yeah. who think 
the, yeah. the way the, the world should be. Yeah. On the other hand, you have a very sort of structured, predictable, disciplined, mostly failing agenda in terms of in terms of the process in terms yeah, of the results I, 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 that's that's my assessment of where the party yeah is the only right the now. only the only i was going to going to add two two real brief amendments to that one is um there have been instances where um there have been instances where the non-establishment guys have risen up and installed somebody as a primary as a nominee who was a catastrophe um those are, however, outnumbered by the number of instances in which the establishment guys have installed people who became senators or congressmen and were catastrophes in office. And I could give you names if you want them. We don't need to get into names. It's okay. Right. But I, I, but we're actually agreeing yeah, because yeah. the result of those primaries you just described where the, the candidate who got in was the, uh, the yeah. concern is a result of the rift – is a result of the fact that the, the the anger and the frustration of the conservatives for being boxed out of le of yeah. of that process. Yeah. That's why those folks got so so so. Bill Buckley Bill Buckley um, articulated a a rule on this one that I I'm going to disagree with slightly, uh, but only after years of thinking about it. Right, Bill Buckley's rule about who you nominate is is you nominate the most conservative candidate who can win the general election. Right. I'm like, okay. Generally speaking, I agree with that. But over the years, I've concluded it leaves out one really important thing. Um, the most conservative candidate who is either – who is willing and capable of doing something once elected. And that's a really important part of it because there's a great big giant difference between generation capacity and – what you actually dispatch in electricity world? Yeah, this this so that we could check the energy box here at the <laughs> AEA podcast, unregulated podcast. Same thing with same thing with politicians. There's a great big giant yes. difference in capacity and dispatch, and and we tend to hire guys with great big giant capacity numbers, nameplates, who whose capacity factor over time is like twelve percent. Yes, you know we 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 oddly enough, the Republican Party is the wind power. <laughs> of politics, so I I want to I want to concur with that, but also add to it. As I have said for years, that the the successful politicians are the ones who use their political capital, yeah, man, to achieve something, yeah. And that could be the said for either end end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. But but you're right. I mean, what is the point? And I think that politicians succeed. And get reelected even when they do tough things, if they go out there and they they say this is who this is what I believe and here's why and and move forward instead of you know constantly searching for that yeah you know this is why I don't I mean we can talk about the moves this week we don't have to but this is why I still don't trust Joe Manchin because everything that he does is this sort of weird sort of political calculated you know there's always wiggle room in his statement it, it, everything is just like so finely nuanced that he that allows him to sort of pivot to the next well it, it's no answer. decision that he will make based on what he thinks he can get away with and uh, yeah me, so it's just let me help you you didn't, there's no profile and courage there right i mean i know we should be praising him and all this other no, stuff praising him just it, I, I just i'm not buying the, it the, yet, the problem so. is is that you didn't grow up with lawyers um 
I grew up with lawyers. And the first thing you learn when you grow up with lawyers is listen to each sentence really carefully because lawyers are well, – was no accident about three-quarters of the elected officials are lawyers, right? And it's no accident that St. Thomas More described lawyers as men whose profession it is to disguise matters. Yes. Um, you know, they, they, use the, they use the language to hide what they think, not to explicate what they think. The Joe Manchin thing um, – the reason why you should believe him this time on HR one and the filibuster, he wrote it in an editorial in the Charleston. I, I understand, I mean, I think, but he it, also it, it here's his wiggle. But I strongly support HR four. Yeah, I'm indifferent to HR four. Right? I mean, it's I'm like in, I'm indifferent. So but see, I'm indifferent. See, the, the difference is that, 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 right? I'm indifferent so. to HR four. I don't care about it. I've already lived under HR four. Yeah. You know, the rest of the country. I agree with Manchin about one thing. You know, the, look. The Voting Rights Act. Let, let's just let's start let's start being careful here. Right? Are we we're switching over to this this voting debate. Uh, no, I'm just going I'm, I'm happy just, to. I just I, want I, to let our listeners know. No, that no, we're no. More, I'm just going to say not, we're not sticking to topic today. The, folks. the, just, the, just, the voting the Voting Rights Act of '65 was an intentional um, was an intentional effort to finish Reconstruction in the South. Yes. It's no accident that the 15 states that were subject to Department of Justice special scrutiny were all the former states of the Confederacy. It is also no accident that the people who led to the excisement of, the, of that provision were all from the South because, you know what, everybody in the South above the age of like 15 years old who's aware of this thing understands it to be what it, what it was. It was a punishment for being from the South. So... Joe Manchin was like, hey, I want to re-up that, but I really want to extend it to all 50 states, knowing full well that the other 35 states could be like, wait a minute, we won the war. Why do we have to do this stuff? Um, One other thing that it does- Like, like everything with Senator Manchin, you're right. It's, it's too clever by half. One other thing that it does do, though, is it does limit the scope of what the- Democrats are attempting to do with with federalizing the, the, elections. The, the, the real beef, and I think it ultimately. You talk about how the filibuster ultimately will help Repub ending the filibuster. Yes, Joe this ultimately that. doesn't help the Democrats per se because the Voting Rights Act is about gerrymandering, creating districts that are majority African American. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, well, it's a little bit more than that. It's about it's about you can't you can't you you can't. <laughs> Can't discriminate on the basis of race except to draw these majority minority yes. districts. Yeah. Now, as we talked about at the beginning, so maybe we are on still on on pace here. These constituencies aren't necessarily going to always be voting Democrat, right? But uh, anyway, uh, but but the other thing that the other thing that Senator Manchin knows, <laughs> it's good to have smart guys. He's a smart guy. Um, the other thing he knows is Congressional Black Caucus is already opposed to HR four. They're already opposed to it. I mean, they're never going to say that publicly, but they're going to vote against it or they're going to vote like to water it down through amendments, 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 because every single one of those guys with like one or two exceptions is sitting in a majority minority district. Yeah. And the last thing they want to do is like open themselves up to getting cut open by guys in Springfield, Illinois, mm -hmm. or, you know, um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Albany, New York. You know, the last thing they want to do is give anybody a reason to draw them out. So... Um, Joe's a smart guy. He's like, I'm in favor of something else that has no chance of passing. <laughs> See, we dissect these these things so that you don't have to, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, all right. Um, let's move on to What's next? the existential threat to humanity, shall we? Climate change. Bill Cassidy. 
Well, oh, the, no, the, the climate change. The other talk about that article. It's, it was a beef that I had. Uh, 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 all right, so I want to start out with. Did, um, did Gina McCarthy say that like? Some you of are <laughs> tracking me, bro. You are tracking me. We, now we have not like discussed this beforehand. I'm folks, pretty. So. I'm pretty confident that I keep hearing it's an existential threat. I Two things, uh, Politico. Uh, I'll 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 pull from the political article about it. Uh, Zach Coleman, our friend Zach, Zach Coleman, excellent reporter. Bl- Biden climate advisor colon infrastructure plan could could omit some climate proposals. I think a lot of people have concerns. Gina McCarthy said. <laughs> President Joe Biden's <laughs> national climate advisor, Gina McCarthy, said on. Tuesday, some ambitious proposals to fight climate change could fall out of the infrastructure package, but the administration would not give up its pursuit of the measures to push green energy to slash greenhouse gases. Yeah. Uh, in In an interview with Politico, McCarthy acknowledged the political difficulties in passing aggressive climate change legislation, but said Biden was still, quote unquote, going for it on climate in his $2 trillion infrastructure plan. We have concerns about we. I can't do the I can't do the accent today. We have concerns about whether we're going to meet the moment in the kind of bold way, in which President Biden knows we have to. Okay, on and on and on and on and on. So that's that's say, one. Thank you, thank you, Propaganda Minister McCarthy. That's one. Two. I want to read this. Uh, pull this article from E and E. I don't know if I've seen this one. Report shows public relations challenge for EVs. Oh, the EVs, yes. I did see this. David <laughs> Ferris, e News reporter. And again, a good reporter. A survey released yesterday by the Pew Research Center indicates that the U.S. public isn't as enthused about EVs as the Biden administration is. Shocker. A, plural, a plurality of people polled, 46%, said they are unlikely to consider buying an EV for their next car, while 39% said they were warm to the idea. Another 14% said they don't plan to buy another car. The window into consumer attitudes comes at an important time for President Biden as he is pushing Congress to, to support his blah, 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 infrastructure, yada, 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 including $174 billion for EVs. Yeah. So, which splits up? This is Pew. This isn't. This isn't MWR. This no, is not no, an no, AEA I, survey. I, I I have tremendous respect for the Pew guys. I think they do good work. Um, it it um, I just wanted to point out that the 174 billion, actually about 135 billion of it, is for point of sale rebates for people who buy electric vehicles. Can I finish a couple of num- other numbers? Because I know you love numbers. Heck yeah. A majority of respondents, 52%, opposed such a ban on internal combustion combustion vehicles with 47 in favor. So this is like high watermark. Depends on how it gets asked. Right, of course. But I assume it got asked favorably somewhat. I'm assuming too. Younger drivers were more likely to support such a ban. Okay. um, Here's the last couple. The drivers did mostly agree to the tune of 67% that EVs are, quote, better than gas-powered cars for the environment, which, of course, will prove to be a wash rather, rather, rather rapidly here as we learn more and more about the environmental impacts of the types of materials that go into electric vehicle batteries, et cetera. But the same proportion, 66%, also perceived EVs as more expensive. So true, um, true, true, and 
may be true on the environment, definitely true on the expensive thing. I was I was at um, a grocery store last night called Mom's, I think. Anyway, it's a hippie. It's yeah, a, yeah, that that organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, organic, and over blah, blah, blah. the over the cash register, yeah. they uh, they uh, they were very proud that they gave their employees five thousand bucks to buy EVs. <laughs> the, and, the, wait, on top of the seventy five hundred dollar yeah, tax yeah, credit, on top of the seventy five hundred, on top of the yeah, local yeah, tax yeah. credits for EVs. It, yeah, and and I and I and I looked at the person I was with. I'm like, do you do you think I should tell them? <laughs> do you think I should tell them that they're giving five thousand bucks for a bunch of a stew of toxic chemicals and materials um, knitted together by slave labor in China and child labor in the the People's Republic, the Democratic Republic, the Congo. And his person's like, no, don't, don't, don't wreck their fantasy. Don't hurt their feelings. So um yeah, I'm under the impression this thing's an existential threat. So I'm not exactly sure what the administration's gonna trade away to um in exchange for allowing an existential threat to go forward. Because my understanding of existential threat is this. It's one that threatens your very existence. That means there's you would literally trade anything to avoid it. But apparently, the administration has a slightly different sense of what an existential threat is. The um, the uh, That was a direct response, by the way. Gina McCarthy was a direct response to Sheldon Whitehouse basically getting up in public on Monday, I guess, and saying, I'm officially concerned. And I'm like, great, Sheldon. Have you been watching any of this stuff for the last five years? So another quick uh, – I don't have an article to tag it to, but the administration came out with a, des- a desire to do an analysis or a, a review of the critical minerals yeah, man. situation here in the yeah. United States to do an assessment of feasibility, et cetera. Okay. Got these Clinton and Obama I mean, guys. They love their assessments. Uh, but man. here's the thing. Like – can you not put – I mean, like, if you're going to mandate this and then figure out whether it's feasible after the fact, you think you'd put the – you think you might want to strike that and reverse it? It's – it's um, it's comical. It's, it's comical. It, it, and, it, oh, by the way, as a reminder, if, if – this is your, your reminder that the Democrats actually don't believe that climate change is an existential threat to humanity because Biden has three permits – Sitting at his desk right now, that he could approve today uh, to allow mineral to lo- allow mineral mining to go forward in the United States, oh, yeah. and he is sitting on all of them. We got like, the one of them, Minnesota, and Pebble. Pebble. And there's and a third one that we talked about with lithium, Mr. Simmons, the lithium thing out in Nevada. So, it it um, yeah, the whole the whole okay. So so this is this is boy. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder about the career path you've picked. Um, this is Gina McCarthy getting ready for everybody to get jammed on reconciliation is what this is all about, right? All that all that stuff's going away and a huge chunk of the money's going away because they're only really going to be able to do reconciliation in the $1 to $1.2 trillion range because uh, the tax title is going to fall apart and – and you know the 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 Sanders, Senator Sanders and Senator Schumer have already told people, uh, yeah, we're going to do reconciliation no matter what this this deal making thing comes up with, right? Which if you're a Republican and you hear that, you're like, well, then why the hell would I make any deal with you if you're just going to jam me anyway, right? Um, and eventually the Republican senators will figure that out. I think even Senator Cassidy he'll figure it out. Hell, Senator Romney will probably figure it out 
couple three days after the rest of the class. Um, the great thing about reconciliation is it means all that policy stuff's going to fall apart. The bad thing about it is there's going to be a lot of tax credits for EVs, wind, solar, batteries, stuff like that. Um, but you know the the um, everything else is going to fall, and that's what she's that's what she's telling everybody. Hey, we're going to give up this whole thing to get the cash. Yeah. So um, she is also hauling in the uh, APIs of the world oh, again, brother. Why haven't they surrendered already? <laughs> How many times can you surrender? Well, I, I think this is part, part. There's two part things going on here. One is these prisoners have already been like interred and paroled. For God's sake, what goes on? I think there's two things going on here. One is she's hauling them in to remind them that she can do a, a lot more uh, in with administration wise to uh, harangue them, but also tie that to the fact that the Republic, the Democrats in the House and the Senate. I'm sorry, are uh, the Democrats in the Senate are going to start hearings on environmental justice, et cetera. And so I think it's only a matter of time before the White Houses of the world start their their letter-writing crusade uh, against the oil and gas industry. Because as you can see, all this stuff is falling apart. So who do they need to blame for, for, for it, right? They're going to have to start to blame big oil and fossil fuel and, you know, and, and all that other stuff. Let me... And two, I think it's a setup for... The auto stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Let me, let me, look. I just want to get ahead of this and say mm -hmm. that, um, that Tom Pyle and Mike McKenna are happy, happy to take whatever blame it's <laughs> due to us. In fact, you know what? We'll take everybody else's blame too. Um, so Gina, call us to the White House. Love to meet with you. Love to go out and like have a little microphone session after the meeting. I, it would be great. <laughs> it would be great. You know okay. what? You know, forget it. Have us to the wardroom for lunch. You know, it's a nice lunch. Have us in the wardroom. Harangue us. We'll eat some lunch. Then we'll ditch. It'll be a lovely afternoon for all of us. And then you can fly back to Boston and think about the existential threat you're posing yes, all the way back. Over the weekend with your coffee. The uh, uh, I have a feeling I won't be on the, um, the rolls of the White House uh, uh, meeting list anytime soon. I don't you, know. You know they'd be in a deep ditch to get us on the yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what, what in the world could they ask us for? So, uh, in case you were in the dark about this, are uh, officially the negotiations between Democrat Joe Biden and former Democrat Shelley Moore Capito, are, who is representing the Republicans, are over. You know, can we can we clip out the podcast from the last three weeks where we predicted that? So, and now uh, Senator Biden, I'm sorry, President Biden is going to be reaching out to Senate Republican Senator Bill Cassidy has reached out to Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Yeah, man, to continue the charade of seeking a bipartisan well, deal good news on, is, on, on infrastructure. Uh, the good news is is that Cassidy and his crew, Susan Collins, Portman, Romney, Murkowski, strange how the same names keep coming up over and over again. Um, they've offered up $968 billion, I think, over eight years, which is still, that's not how it gets counted, girls. It's over 10 years. Um, they, all these people in the Senate, you'd think somebody would tell them that. Um with about half of it being new money, and that's been a Biden's beef, right? He wants it all to be new money instead of like recaptured from. Yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to claw back the COVID, the 
COVID money that's sitting around and doing nothing. Yeah, in, in what in what universe in what universe did you ever think that Senator Capito would be to the right of most everybody else in the Republican <laughs> caucus? I give her full credit. She's just like, you know, finally she's decided. Okay, we just got to stop negotiating with ourselves. Here's our number. Peace out. Yeah, that we that would have. Yes. Okay. Fine. I'll pull back a little and say yes. She, that she that just, should have been where she started. Yeah. But I'm glad she got there. Right. Exactly. Yes. I, I, I'm I'm tremendously yes. pleased that right. somebody. I'm, on this. I'm tremendously pleased somebody said no. Um. And uh. You know. I'm I'm not surprised it's her. Um. You know. She she has lived in Joe Manchin's shadow. I'm. I always thought she had it in her. She had like some st- You know, steel in her spine. Glad she found it. What these other guys are doing, I have no earthly idea. Um, but anybody who loves democracy and loves freedom has to be worried about the names that you're hearing negotiating this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you know when 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 Senator Cinema is your hope for rationality, you probably want to rethink what team you're on. I brought this up to you this morning because it kind of got in my craw, and I'll. I'll I'll pull it out. I'll just I'll, uh, Bloomberg Bloomberg government did a little blurb. <laughs> Biden's bipartisan hopes dealt a blow um, as Schumer preps go it alone. Okay, it's just basically a rehash of what we're talking about here. But this is the line that irked me, and it's it's so I, I don't know how to. All right, Biden called both Mansion and Cinema on Tuesday, along with Republican Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Dash, dash. A state facing major investment needs in coastal areas because of climate change, dash, dash, as he battled to salvage the possibility of a cross-party deal. Yeah, there's so many so many things wrong with that paragraph, right? I, it, Mike, this is insane. It, like, it, does that do the reporters, and there's three listed here, have, have they done any analysis as the history have they googled have they googled of louisiana and they, coastal erosion and coastal erosion have they have they googled levees and coastal erosion no i i don't understand how that gets through it's it's completely editorial it's it's a complete editorial well it's inaccurate right yeah i mean one thing it was editorial i mean i'm an editorial writer i'm never inaccurate um i have mixed feelings about it i'll tell you why Part of me is like, we should correct it. And part of me is like, eh, you know what? What it means is 20 more people look at it and go, okay, those people are now impeached as far as sources, right? You know, I'm not buying I'm not buying Bloomberg anymore because I know that to be factually wrong. And that's the thing about it. As you go along in life, you invariably bump across episodes where reporters get things wrong. And stuff like this is just that is a slice. This is that is a strike through. Yeah. In in the in the first pass. Yeah. At 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 the at the editor's desk. Yeah. That's that's a strike through. I mean, that is so blatant. I guarantee you. You know what else I guarantee you? I guarantee you, no one in Senator Cassidy's office or Garrett Graves' office is going to send them an email and say, "I think you made a mistake here." Do you, can you hypothesize as to why you think that is? I got a lot of different theories. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. I got a lot of different theories. Um, one last thing on the on this 
overarching issue of the existential threat to humanity. Wall Street Journal. You know, Tom, I, I think you're not taking this seriously. I am. I just wish they, the people who claim it's an existential threat to humanity would take it seriously because it doesn't seem to me that they are. And it, that upsets me. It's kind of like. I'm willing to make the sacrifices if they're willing to, to if they're willing to go forward and, and, a, and do what needs to be done to save us. It's a little bit like socialism. Nobody's really a socialist. Everybody just wants your stuff. They want to keep their stuff. They just want your stuff too. Nobody's really a – Bernie Sanders is not a socialist. Bernie Sanders likes his stuff. He ain't going to give it up. Yes. So it's like this. Nobody's really an existential threat person. They just like to talk about it. It's okay. One, one more from the Wall Street Journal. This is uh, from June 9th, updated this morning, June 9th. Uh, China's economic officials temper climate efforts. Authorities have limited the scope of a of a carbon trading scheme as driving growth takes priority. What? China's top economic planners have put the brakes on attempts by environmental officials to reduce carbon emissions as driving growth takes priority over meeting climate targets for now. For according to people familiar with the matter. <laughs> people, people familiar with the matter? Yeah, according what the, to what the hell people. is that? Officials at China's main economic Who planning agency. Who wrote this? Sha Hua and Keith. I'm going to butcher the Zai Z H A I. Okay. Sha Hua. So and, so in some, Hong Kong and Singapore. I was going to say so somebody somebody in the Asian desk at the Wall Street Journal. Okay, I'm sorry. Growth. People familiar with the matter. <laughs> in other words, the Chinese communist officials who gave us this interview. Okay, so where is it? When the Environmental Ministry released the initial rules for the emissions trading system in December, they were more limited than initially proposed. The scheme will, for instance, only involve about 2,200 companies in the power sector, which is responsible for an estimated 30% of China's total emissions, instead of the 6,000 companies from eight sectors that were in the initial proposal. Uh, it just it goes on and on and on to, to it, sort of... It, yeah, the, <laughs> To paint, like to, to to talk of the article, sort of the vein of the article is, is I know this is a hard, difficult decision for China, this trade off between growth and climate change, right? I mean, I, I you know, how can you take this stuff seriously? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's all the same thing every year. Every year, the environmental, ah, Chinese are serious. You're just like, every year, like, no, they're not. It, when I first started this racket, the United States at at seven gigatons emitted more than anybody else, and now the United States emits about five and a half, and the Chinese emit like fourteen. And by the time I'm dead, the Chinese are going to emit thirty five, and the United States will emit four and a half, and we'll still be reading these kind of stories. On May, here's one more, one more oh, quick. On May thirty first, at the behest of economic planners, China's steel hub, Tangshan ordered the loosening of emission restrictions for its steelmakers, undoing a March directive that came after environmental ministry inspectors found the companies in violation of environmental regulations and instructed the companies to cut emissions by 30% to 50. Some Chinese provinces have mounted resistance to the reductions mandated by Beijing, warning of power supply shortages. So what did Gina McCarthy say in the story? When she was I called, up for, when she was called she up for a was comment. I called up for a comment. Because I had to call her for a comment. But that's not her lane. 
That is Special Envoy Carrie's lane. Uh, what he say? Don't forget about that. He's the one that. who's running around talking to the Chinese. So, what did he say? So somebody should ask him. Uh, Secretary Kerry, what do you think about this problem? Okay, and then I want, I'm want i going to wrap it up. I said I was going to wrap it up with that one, but I forgot there was <laughs> but one Wait a minute, more. I got one more. This is from the Washington Post. And I'm not paying for the subscription, so I'm, the Amazon uh, Post? I'm not going to get it. The, you know, the Bezos Post. Are they shooting, Despite pandemic. Are they shooting that into the space with Jeff? <laughs> Despite the pandemic... Carbon dioxide level in atmosphere hits record high. I know. This Steve Muffson wrote this story, right? Yes. I thought about calling him up, but then since he did a sideswipe on me about two years ago, I thought, no, I'm not going to do yes, that. Yes, I remember the sideswipe very it, well. It, 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 I'm well versed in the sideswipe. Yeah. So I get just real quick, a customer like two months ago said, yeah, we should try to place this with Steve Muffson over at the Washington Post. He's a fair guy. And I said, look, if that's the price of admission, I'm not doing it. Fire me right now, but I'm not talking to that guy. Economies worldwide nearly ground to a halt over the 15 months of the coronavirus pandemic, leading to a startling drop in global greenhouse gas emissions. But the idle airplanes boarded up stores and quiet highways barely made a dent in the steady accumulation of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which scientists from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration said Monday had reached the highest levels since accurate measurements began 63 years ago. The new figures serve as a sober reminder that even as President Biden and other world leaders make unprecedented promises, which we just described earlier, about curtailing greenhouse gas emissions, <laughs> turning the tide of climate change will take even more massive efforts over a much longer period of time. I, I, I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I figured this was going to be one of those things. I mean, it's an existential threat, so you got to figure it's going to take a second or two. Um, yeah, I, I did see this story. Um, the, the 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 ticker at Mauna Loa keeps going up, up, up. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I said this two weeks ago. I'll say it again. Emissions are up about 50% since the Kyoto, Kyoto Protocol was signed. Global greenhouse gas emissions. If you are looking for the government to solve this problem, you are looking in the wrong place. Government, for the most part, doesn't solve problems unless they involve killing people. Doesn't get any simpler than that, gang. Okay. I've, I've, got, I've got all the climate news out of my system. Feel better? What's next up on your list? Uh, should we talk international affairs a little bit? Oh, for goodness sake. What? What are we talking about? What are Border we crisis? What border crisis? Is there a border crisis? There is. A, well, I'm sorry. There's a challenge at the border. I haven't been to Europe, so I don't know about this border <laughs> crisis. That's where we're going. <laughs> All right. Vice President Harris, of course, visited uh, Guatemala uh, to the, this past week to get to the root of the border. Can the I apologize in advance? And she sat down with, with Lester Holt of NBC and... <laughs> Had a quite a nice Poor, exchange. You have got to get get a video of this and look at Lester's face. As I'm she, going she does to. I'm going to play the long version because I want. I don't want it to be accused of, of selective editing. Yeah, the 38 okay. second clip. 
No, I'm going to do the longer version, the, yeah. the interview that yeah, extends it out. Crisis down at the southern border, the focus of Vice President Kamala Harris's first overseas trip since taking office. She heads to Mexico today after spending yesterday in Guatemala, where she announced several initiatives and delivered a message to potential migrants there. Do not come to the United States. The vice president also sat down exclusively with NBC's Lester Holt, who began by asking her about that warning. In the news conference here in Guatemala City, you, you had a message for would-be migrants, don't come. Why should they believe you when they, when they know that people are getting in? I've been working on this issue for a very long time. And the kind of violence and danger that is associated with that trek, especially when we're talking about from Guatemala through Mexico to the United States, it is extremely dangerous. We are looking at a, a, a situation where people are fleeing because of hunger, because of the hurricanes, because of the pandemic. So the reason I am here is, is to address those issues, knowing that the people who are here for generations, they want to stay. They don't want to leave, but they need opportunity. They need assistance. They need support. Americans don't see. Okay. I'm going to pause because I want to dissect that first one a little bit. Yeah. So am I to surmise from that that the crux of the border crisis is that Guatemalans, by and large, don't want to leave Guatemala, but because of their conditions there, that they are making the trek to the border. That is essentially their their position. Am I am I misstating that, or it am I? Seems did like I, the general theory okay. of the case. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. See a lot of that on a daily basis. What they yeah. do see at their, at their own border, children being lowered over fences, mm -hmm. children coming in with, you know, phone numbers stenciled on, on their hand. Yeah. And so the question has come up, and you heard it here, and, and you, you'll hear it again, I'm sure. It's why not visit the border? Why not see what Americans are seeing in this crisis? Well, we are going to the border. We have to deal with what's happening at the border. There's no question about that. That's not a debatable point. But we have to understand that there's a reason people are arriving at our border and ask what is that reason and then identify the problem so we can fix it. Let's talk about the corruption issue. You're notably not visiting El Salvador or Honduras where you have leaders who have had links to, to corruption. Do you have enough reliable partners in this northern triangle in this region to do what needs to be done? So, you know, we are doing the work in the region as a whole. We've been engaged as an administration, as a country, at a high level with leaders in all three of the countries. So what specifically are you offering these countries you're visiting? What, is, there, yeah. is there a quid pro quo? If you do this, we'll do this? No, it, it's not about quid pro quo. It's simply about understanding, if, if nothing else, that the, the return on our investment is the same return on your investment that if you have a neighbor on your block where you grew up was having a hard time. It's in the best interest, not only of your neighbor, but yourself to, my, to help them out, right? And um, that's how we think about this work. <laughs> what is the United States' interest in this? We're prepared to show up and do it in a way that is motivated by the best interest of diplomacy and democracy and goodwill. So how quickly does this change what we see at the border? There's not going to be a quick fix. We're not going to see an immediate return, but we're going to see progress. The real work is going to take time to manifest itself. Will it be worth it? Yes. Will it take some time? Yes. 
President Biden as vice president led a very similar effort. Mm -hmm. What's significantly different about what you're doing this time? I'm building off of what the president, then Vice President Joe Biden, uh, did at that time, but also understanding that this this moment is different in many ways. Take, for example, the pandemic. One of the first um, things we as a nation were able to offer Guatemala was support with their vaccines. We have, I've made a commitment and um, we announced it last week of 500,000 vaccines to Guatemalans. Part of what we're doing is I've asked Microsoft to partner with us on what we can do to get people access to banking systems through technology and basically help them with their, their, their digital connectiveness. But the bones of the work, really, it's, it's the same. Let's see the people, let's see their needs, and let's, let's focus on it and, and understand will, our responsibility. Why will it be successful this time if it wasn't in the past? Well, I, I think it, there was success about what happened in the past. And, and again, when you look at what we're doing now, you're seeing progress. And so let's not overlook progress. Just quickly put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I mentioned it because I, even I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this. But Democratic Congressman Cuellar, as a border district, has said to the, you and the president, come. You need I to, care you need to see about this. And I care about what's happening at the border. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. There may be. Uh, some who think that that is not important, but it is my firm belief that if we care about what's happening at the border, we better care about the root causes and address them. And so that's what I'm doing. As mentioned, the vice president wraps up her trip in Mexico today where she'll meet with the country's president. And Lester will have more of that exclusive interview tonight on... Okay. I, I'm sorry to put everyone through the long, long version of that, but I didn't want to just play the, ed the, the edited clip. We, we probably. This is the we, vice president of the United we States. Probably of America. owe President Biden an apology. I think I know where you're going with this. I have lingered and labored under the impression that he may have been the um, the most intellectually eroded part of the administration. I'm not sure that's right anymore. I myself have been to Europe. <laughs> and I haven't been to the border. I'm sorry. I, I just I, that part is the funny part, but the the part that's not funny is, is, the, is the word salad after the first the two mumbling, questions. rambling, like incoherent position that this administration has with respect to the border, right? Because they know, well, okay, because it's not their position, right? Well, that's not their position. I mean, it's root causes. Their position is that they don't really have a strong desire to fix the the border problem because the border problem is part of their their longer term electoral solution. Okay, set that aside. Yeah. Do you think they have become so accustomed to not yes getting yes. any yes any difficult question? Yeah. 
that they don't even bother to prepare no, I for an anticipated I you difficult question. I, uh, what's his name? Um, that is God, it wasn't Doug Andres. It was one of the other press guys. Um, Tim Murtaugh. It was it was the president's press guy from the from the campaign. Tim Murtaugh te- tweeted out. He's like the the one question that was obviously coming your way. And she was not only totally unprepared for it, at the end of the answer, she said, I don't understand where you're going. I'm like, (laughs) are you out of your mind? This is the question. It's the number one talking point that the Republicans have had since the beginning of her appointment. You're going to get this question. Which, by the way, was a midnight appointment. Which I don't know. I don't think Biden even checked with her on. I don't understand why. I mean, how complicated. She's down there in Mexico City. She's got Air Force Two. Dude. Just fly over to Harlingen and like drive to the yeah. border, or fly just, to Corpus Christi, or fly to you know what? Go fly to um, go fly to El Paso and literally just stand on the hill if you don't want to do anything else. Stand on the hill over yeah. the border, over the border crossing there. Yeah, it's really it's kind of an embarrassment. Like her answer uh, to fixing the border is Tom, I giving Microsoft know. soft, working with Microsoft to give give Guatemalans uh, access to to banking software and vaccines. And vaccines. Don't forget the vaccines. Um, um, by the way, I I have been to the border. I've been to the border. See? I've crossed the border many times, especially when I was in college. Legally? Yes, of course. Sometimes illegally. And when I came back, I wasn't sober. <laughs> so. I, 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 maybe we should start that. Just, hey, everybody who's been But there, I didn't drive. Would everyone who's listening driven. who's been to the border send us an email? Let us know that you've been to the border. We'll read your names next week. <laughs> And a bonus if you've also been to, to Europe. Europe. Yeah, I've been to Europe and I've been to the border. And I'm not sure what Lester was driving at. I mean, it's a complicated question. Have you been to the border? All right. Lastly, just one last <laughs> note on this uh, gaffe. I'm is, seriously. she's this, she, she, she had the cackle again. She's a life insurance policy for the president. She had the cackle again at the most nervous part yeah, of the Yeah, I, I told response. you that. It's a, it's a fidget. It's it, crazy, right? It, it's a fidget. Yeah, it, it it took me a month or two to figure it That's out. It's crazy. It's a fidget. She does it when she's nervous, when yeah. she knows she's botching the question. Yeah, which is which is going to be um, tough for her to overcome in a primary setting. There's a reason why she didn't survive the primary this go around. She's well, going to. She have, got rewarded for her her for most her, for mostly her, for her butchery of the president. Horrible performance during it, the primary. It's going to be a great primary in 2024. It really is. Okay. What do you have? Anything? What else do I have? What else do you have? Sorry. Um, I have concluded that the um, Yankees are heading towards an 88 victory season, as I predicted at the top of the year. The only difference is I don't think 88 games is going to get them in the playoffs. Yeah, I think there'll be an outside looking at the mid. Are we about halfway? No, we're, we're sixty games. We're in, sixty, right? we're, so we got about hundred games. We're a little left. bit better. We're a little bit better than a third of the way in the season. We're two games over five hundred. Uh, no, we're now uh, four games over five hundred. Three games over five hundred. Something like that. Like I said, we're we're heading towards eighty-eight and seventy-four, and we're d- second to last in the AL East, and we're uh, about three and a half back in the wild card. That's yes. where we stand. Yeah, and I think that's where we're going to end up. We're going to end up third in the AL East. We're going to win 88 games, and we're going to be um, the either third or fourth um, wild card team. So we're going to be out is the short answer. What do you think? Uh, I think it can go 
it can go that way, uh, or they could potentially. I sent you and our friend a, an article yesterday that broke yeah. down every batter and what Why the Yankees are terrible. I, I only read it uh, like a little while. Uh, yeah, dig through it because if if each if half of the of the starting lineup it makes those the adjustments necessary to start hitting in all the areas that they're not hitting well, whether yeah. it's you know contact or um then maybe they can i mean what what the what the article i sent you basically su- summarizes is they are the worst team in the league by far with respect to be- me- leaving men left on base but other than that they're about somewhere in the middle with respect to everything else given the year the fact that the bad you know, the batters across the board are doing miserably right so the left on base which question is, which is curious nobody nobody talks about why the batters are doing so badly yeah i mean they're starting to chat about it well it's the spin it's, rates it's, it's none of that, like that crap right? it's none of that crap it's so, that the batters have, have learned how that they get paid more for home runs than for singles you know if you, yes it, the, and pitchers have have batters have changed their batting style so that yeah, they cannot yeah. hit certain pitches yeah and so the and pitchers, pitchers are pitching those pitches yeah I, i'm i'm so you know I don't mean to. I don't mean to suggest something crazy here, but if you get a coach who could convince his guys to make contact, that'd be a World Series team right away. Yeah. The, um, the that's the, why the mystery I don't understand, and this is bad for the Yankees. Um, right, Aaron Judge is having what's probably going to be his career year. He's going to hit three hundred. He's going to hit forty-five home runs. He's going to knock in one hundred twenty runs. Um, which you know he's the right age for a career year, right? Yeah. He's twenty-eight, twenty-nine, yeah. thirty. Um, DJ Lemay, he was for whatever reason, dropped off the planet, right? He's a he's a 255 hitter, and he strikes out as much as he um, puts the ball in play. That's not quite true, but he strikes out, you know, right two, three times as much as he did last year at this time. And um, and it's, um, it's a huge problem, and it's, 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 um, I'm not sure how it gets fixed. Anyway, um, we have a programming note. This is the last time we're going to be doing this in person for a while. Oh, yes. Yes. We are going to be recording from various locations for the next couple of few weeks. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll be here. We'll be here all summer. So don't fear. You might, it might be a little echoey here and there. Exactly. There might be an occasional, uh, you know, uh, zoom glitch. Right. Zoom, uh, you know, fade in, fade out, but we're going to be back in action. It's a 50, 50. I'll fall asleep at one point on the couch. (laughs) So D-Day. Should we talk D-Day? Uh, yeah, you want to close on D-Day? I'll close on D-Day. We can close on D-Day. Um, the, you want me to go first? I the, do. This administration has now successfully managed to um, not, not engage in any way at all with um, important religious holidays or important civic holidays. And for a lot of people, the last straw was that they failed to put out any kind of notice at all about June 6th, right? Um, commemorating the 77th anniversary of June 6, 1944, right? Um, the, the day of the American invasion of Europe, right? Um, I tend to agree. Originally, and I, I will, this is my French laundry moment on this issue. Originally, I pass these things off as staff mistakes or oversights or whatever. I am now come to a different conclusion, and that is that these people. And by these people, I mean the administration, 
are never going to celebrate anything that involves Christianity, are never going to involve celebrate anything that involves American exceptionalism because they disagree with both. Um, it's not just an oversight. It is intentional. They believe the country to be profoundly flawed, and they believe that part of that flaw is its history, which involves Christianity. And therefore, we are never going to get proclamations on normal celebrations. We're going to test that on July 4th. We're going to see what they give us on July 4th. Yeah, that'll be a big test. But, that's that, my, but, but you're right. I that's mean, my this big is the theory. Pattern. Is, it, it started as maybe an uh, uh, oops, but it's now become very, very much a pattern. I, I don't know how you mix you January back, June 6th go, after Memorial Day. You go back uh, with Easter. You go back with... Yeah, man. Easter's about Easter's about Memorial vaccines. Day. You go back with they just didn't reference Memorial Day at all. No, just screwed. Until they had they did then they had to cover it up. That's the problem is everyone's chasing yeah, it. Yeah, but I mean they, they gave no proclamation, and then a week later they they did gave us nothing on on D Day, which is just like so. Uh, Circle back was asked about this uh, with du uh, Peter Ducey, who has become the the actual reporter, the nicer version of Jim Acosta. I, I guess gonna, <laughs> I was going to go the nicer version of John Git John Gizzy. So. But uh, uh, here was her here was her response to the to the question of why President Biden did not commemorate the D-Day anniversary. And then just quickly, a housekeeping thing: Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump all commemorated D-Day anniversaries on D-Day on the D-Day anniversary. Why didn't President Biden? Well, I can tell you that certainly the uh, val his value for the role that men and uh, the men who served uh, on D-Day uh, and the memory of them, uh, the families who have. Uh, kept their memories uh, alive over the course of years on this day is something the president has spoke to many, many times in the past. Um, it's close to his heart. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more we would have to say on you it. Know, that's, a that's a lie. I mean, it's just a lie. <laughs> well, it clearly it, didn't it, happen. If, if it was close to his heart, the White House would have put out a proclamation. He would have said something personal about it. You know, I'm completely comfortable with the idea that press secretaries get get paid to shade the truth, to evade the truth, to misdirect. But what she just said was, I guarantee, an out-and-out lie. Because if it was important to him, he would have said it. Now, we asked our two interns before we walked in here, our two interns who are, what, 20, 21 maybe? They're ancient, right? Asked them both about D-Day. They both managed to cough up a sentence without any problem at all. Right. Um, yeah, that was an informal survey to see if it's just a generational thing. Right, because we thought we thought maybe it's us. They, they, when I when we raised it, they both looked at me like, "What? Is, has this old guy forgotten what D Day is about?" <laughs> okay, I, we'll play along with you. Yeah, um, I, it's not funny. It's it, really it, it's, it's, it's it's really weird. It's I'm telling you, it 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 comes from a place where they think this is a defective country. And 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 you know me, I'm not angry at these guys. I don't hate them. Yeah. But 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 there's no other explanation. At a certain point, you don't celebrate the country because you don't think it's worth celebrating, and that's the bottom line. Yeah, it goes back to the, my point earlier: is they're trying to please everybody, and they can't please anybody as a result, right? And they have to clean everything up, and it's like those signs, like in my neighborhood, like I believe in eighteen thousand things, and the font is so small that it takes like five minutes to read it it's like because you gotta like include everything or else you're excluding somebody in which case you're either a racist or a bigot 
I would not want to live in that world right now. Like, I would not want to be a Democrat, a liberal no, Democrat, because it's too fr- it's too hard. You you you, it's too hard. You like know. you have to apologize to six thousand people before you even begin your speech. And, then your speech is over, and you have to keep track of you have to keep track of which of the which of the commentariat is okay and which isn't. <laughs> and you know, you you go to the camps. You know, guys like you and me. They're just going to put us into camps. Yeah, we're done. We're not we're going like, to be like, gee, I wonder why they're putting us into camps. We're just going to be like, yeah, we, we've been begging them for a, lot, like a while now. It, it, right. Well, this podcast is helping move that along quite rapidly. Something barriers even further. So one more thing before, as we part, uh, and I will do a, a final clip. Um, more of the final, Prince, final, final. More of the Prince Fauci emails final. have been released, and more discussion. In, I, I was going to play it, a Trump clip in uh, Virginia, but I won't. in Virginia, in the House of Delegates. Um, there is a tradition that everyone gets asked three um, questions of a of a bill sponsor, right? And Tom Moss was the speaker from Newport News, Democrat, O line Democrat, great guy. And when a guy got to his third question. Delegate used to get up and say, "Mr. Speaker, I asked to be recognized for a, a third question to you know the, the honorable gentleman from Fairfax or Montgomery County, wherever this guy's from." And Tom also always said, "The gentleman is recognized for his first final question." <laughs> <laughs> well, so we, you are you recognized know, we're going for going around your, the horn here, but you are recognized for your first final. I just would like to uh, close with a. a comment from dr fauci from about a year ago i have to be honest i usually hate these but this one is classic okay <laughs> thank you thanks for indulging me i'm not going to get into the and any of the substance i just want to i just want this to i want to i want to flow out of unregulated with this last one here how do they know who to trust uh well th- that's a good question and it's it's difficult, you know, to um, give you a definitive answer, except <laughs> that for the most part, I believe, for the most part, you can trust respected medical authorities. Uh, you know, I believe I'm one of them, so I think you can trust me. Um, but I, I would stick with respected medical authorities who have a track record of telling the truth who have a track record of giving information and policy and recommendations based on scientific evidence and good data. So if I were to give advice to you and your family and your friends of your family, I would say that's the safest bet to do, to listen to the recommendations from that category of people. But it's entirely understandable how the public can get mixed messages and then get a bit confused about what they should do in short trust me <laughs> that's it for the unregulated <laughs> podcast ladies and gentlemen in fauci we trust <laughs> namaste hey.